everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazor. And we are back at the Aggieville Alley Cats World Headquarters, also known as our apartments. But this week's weekly recap is a little bit, just not as much as usual. Two Catsketball games each, but we're going to go ahead and start with the top-billing women's basketball team and their two dominant victories over this past week. And, of course, it starts down at UCF in Orlando with a 72-56 Wildcat victory in a pretty genuinely solid performance top to bottom with, and we talked about it last week, where if you have someone who has a day off, there are other girls there to pick them up. And I think that is, it's an example of one of these games. So you can do that with the, the starter stats, because I, I have a feeling that you know who I'm discussing. Yeah, so Serena Sundell, uh, she led the way uh, in scoring uh, field goal attempts and uh, had a really fantastic day. 10 of 14 from the field any day is excellent. 2 of 3 from 3 as well. So she finished with 22 and this game had four rebounds, three fouls, two assists, and four turnovers. So really quality day for Serena Sundell. Uh, Jalen Glenn, she went seven for seven from the field and two of two from three. She finished with 16 points, three rebounds, one foul, two assists, one turnover, and then four steals as well. So really good day for her. Uh, Ayoka Lee, she was the third leading scorer with 12 points. She was six of nine from the field, missed her one free throw, but she did add six rebounds. Uh, had two fouls, one turnover, a whopping seven blocks, and then added a steal too. So even though it wasn't her most prolific scoring day, seven blocks is fantastic from Aoka Lee. Uh, then Gabby Gregory, she played 30 minutes and had nine points, three of nine from the field, 0-4 from three, and three of four at the free throw line. She added three rebounds, and then she had three assists, no turnovers, and then a block. And then Briley Glenn, one of one from the field in just 12 minutes, two points, two rebounds, a foul, and an assist. So rounding out the starting lineup, pretty quality there. Casey, of course, getting a, a ton of production from Ayoka Lee, whether that's scoring or otherwise. Today it was otherwise, but uh, regardless, she's still a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, and it's Briley only played 12 minutes because she rolled her ankle. She's fine. Uh, she came back the next game, but I don't think she played after she rolled her ankle that first time. It's also worth noting that Serena Sundell hit a career milestone with, uh, it's either a 1,000th or 2,000th point. 1,000. It was her 1,000th point in this game. So congratulations to Serena Sundell climbing up the leaderboards once again. And she's quietly been one of, I know she was part of the core three that you and I talked about at the beginning of the year, but even then it still seems like she quietly just pops up on the stat sheet and has insane days every two or three games. I like that. That's really cool, actually. <laughs> but, and then, of course, Gabby going 0-4 from 3. It's become more obvious that she she had a shoulder issue in her shooting shoulder, her left side. But, you know, I she she's hot and cold, uh, but she tends to pick it up in the most clutch moments in the clutch game. So you take it however they come. But in terms of bench production, there are four bench players. Gisela Sanchez played 16 minutes, 3 of 7 from the field, 0 of 2 from 3, 2 rebounds, 4 fouls, 3 assists, 2 turnovers, and 6 total points. You and I actually talked about this in the next game, uh, but 
honestly, for her threes, if she takes like two steps back, I think she would make a lot more of her threes. Because you were the one that brought this attention to me, because I always brought up in the preseason that she was a 40% three-point shooter in FIBA. You brought it to my attention that they use a smaller ball in FIBA. So honestly, and she keeps overshooting every three she's thrown. So maybe taking like two or three steps back and she starts draining them. <laughs> but Terrence Sides played 20 minutes, two of four from the field, one of two from three. Four rebounds, one assist, two turnovers, one steal, five total points. Then Zy Walker, 19 minutes, 0-4 from the field, 0-2 from three. Got a rebound, four fouls, three assists, one turnover, one block, no points. Then Amani Lester rounds out the bench production at four minutes, 0-2 from the field, two rebounds, one foul, one assist. So this was, again, a really solid performance against a debatably okay UCF squad. I think some people would say okay is generous. Um, but still, it's a Big 12 win on the road, and those are never easy to come by, whether you're in the men's or women's game. And there's also, like, the shooting efficiency was crazy tonight, and you can talk about that. Yeah, I'm, my voice. <laughs> I'm glad that you um, brought that up, because this was a fantastic shooting day. From three, they were good. They were a little bit above their season average at uh, 5 of 15, so making a third of their threes. Uh, but from the field, they were over 50%, 32-57 as a team, uh, over 50% in all but one quarter. Uh, they finished 56.1% total from the field. The only time they were under 50% was the third quarter. That was 465 still. And they also scored pretty well while only attempting five free throws in the entire game, which is pretty impressive as well. This is a, a team that, um, at least last year, liked to get to the line uh, and was pretty quality at that as well. They've been a little bit worse across the board this year with free throws, uh, which is a little strange. Everybody's kind of regressed uh, a bit, but it seems like things are getting a little bit better as the season goes on. But no, the shooting was extremely, extremely efficient. Uh, and then to only add to the efficiency, 52 of K-State's 72 points came in the paint, So this, which is sheer domination on the inside by K-State. Yeah, and it wasn't just Yoki doing it. It was everyone doing it, mm-hmm. With, including uh, Jalen, who's added a lot of driving to her game as well, which I think was probably the one thing, that and three-point shooting, that she didn't have as much of last year, although she definitely preferred driving over three-point shooting. She's improved massively at both. So Jalen Glenn has quietly become one of the most complete players on the team, right alongside Serena Sundell. But, you know, massive victory... Starting, this was the third consecutive Big 12 victory to open the year. K-State would follow up by getting number four in Bramlage up against the Oklahoma Sooners, 74-57. In a game that was pretty close at the very beginning, uh, the first quarter was kind of sloppy, I think is the best way to put it, was the first quarter. But you're the one who told me this, or you brought up the quarter point, so I'll let you say it. But I think the... Your philosophy on women's college basketball games, especially in upset scenarios, very much applied to this scenario. Yeah. I mean, if you go across uh, women's basketball, uh, it's not really uncommon for the first quarter uh, between a highly ranked team and a challenger to be pretty close uh, because the challenging team is throwing looks uh, that they've probably been saving 
or that they just came up with specifically for that game. And there's some truth to that to any game, but there's extra motivation in a game against a highly ranked opponent. And I, I think that's probably true a lot of times for K-State games. I think K-State uh, is getting thrown defensive looks that they don't expect uh, and offensive looks that they don't expect. So that way they can't prepare for it as much on film and they need to adjust and make in-game adjustments for that. So a lot of that is coaching. And that's a huge step forward from Mitty and his coaching staff is being able to adjust to things on the fly. And you can see that in the first and second quarter here. First quarter was a 15-15 tie, and that was KC kind of coming back at the end of the quarter as well because Oklahoma controlled most of the quarter. And the second quarter, K-State comes through and outscores Oklahoma 22-10. to And that's just really good adjustment and coaching by K-State because they know that Oklahoma is going to throw unique looks that they haven't really prepared for. And you just have to weather that storm, and great teams weather the storm. And that's what K-State's been doing really, really well this year. Yeah. And that's how the best I would describe the, the opening quarter was weathering the storm. Because you were right, Oklahoma did control a lot of the game in the first quarter, to a frustrating degree, <laughs> even. But nevertheless, K-State ends up prevailing, mostly on the backs of a really excellent second quarter and a fourth quarter that, you know, we won two out of the four quarters and tied one of them. Typically, you're going to win those games unless you collapse in one of the quarters. But, Connor, you have the starting stats here. Yeah, Aoka League leads the way in scoring, although it's a little misleading because uh, she didn't really lead in scoring until very late in the game when she was pretty much just padding her stats because uh, Oklahoma was double and triple teaming her uh, very aggressively selling out on defending Aoka Lee, especially in the first quarter. Uh, but Aoka Lee, she played 28 minutes, uh, was in foul trouble. She had four fouls, but she still finished with 19 points. Went 8 of 12 from the field, 3 of 5 at the free throw stripe. She added six rebounds, one assist, two turnovers, five blocks, and two steals. So she stuffed the stat sheet. And uh, blocks, I think all of those were in, like, in the first half, uh, or at least most of them were. And there's an argument for her actually having more than she was credited with. Yeah. <laughs> but she uh, was utterly dominant. I think I, I saw somebody tweet that she's like two blocks away from the all-time K-State lead. And she's like four points away from 2000 in her career. So she'll be crossing both those milestones here pretty soon. Uh, but So she still leads the way in scoring, even though she did a lot of her damage at the end of the game when she was able to finally get some one-on-ones. Yeah. Uh, but Serena Sundell, she was really consistent throughout this game. She played 35 minutes, 6 of 11 from the field, 2 of 5 from 3, and then 2 of 4 at the line. Uh, had 16 points, 5 rebounds, 7 assists to 4 turnovers, and she added 2 blocks of her own and a steal. Uh, so really clean game for Serena Sundell, no fouls. Uh, did have the 4 turnovers, would like to keep that down, uh, but really she... There's not really many complaints about how she played. She's been shooting from distance pretty well the last couple of games, too. Uh, Gabby Gregory, uh, she went 4 of 10 from the field, 3 of 5 from 3, and made her two free throws for 13 and had two rebounds, two fouls, three assists, a turnover, and then four blocks of her own, uh, which is kind of surprising. And then Jalen Glenn played 39 uh, of the minutes available, uh, getting 11 points on 5 of 10 from the field, 1 of 5 from 3, missed her one free throw, but she had seven rebounds, two fouls, an assist, and then a block. So 
blocks absolutely everywhere yeah. for K-State in this game. Uh, all the blocks were in the starting lineup, and so K-State finishes 12 block shots in this game, which is just nuts. <laughs> and then Briley Glenn, she only played nine minutes, 0-3 from the field, 0-2 from three. I had one assist and one turnover, so not her best night, but probably still recovering a little bit from the rolled ankle. And, of course, we still have a pretty solid bench, and we had some players step up there, too. Yeah, exactly. Zai Walker went 20 minutes, 5 of 10 from the field, 1 of three, one of 2 from 3, rather. 2 200 free throws, 4 rebounds, 2 fouls, 1 phantom foul, uh, 2 assists, and 1 steal, 13 total points. Gisela Sanchez, 22 minutes, 1 of 7 from the field, 0 of 3 from 3. This is when you and I started discussing she needs to take a few steps back. But she did end up getting 9 rebounds, 2 of them being offensive, 1 foul to 5 assists, and 1 steal, 2 total points. You and I also talked about this for Gisela Sanchez and her how inconsistent, generously, she's been from three. She has weirdly good court vision for the position she plays, and she's a weirdly good passer. Yeah, she's uh, when she's not contributing as a scorer, she's finding other ways to contribute, and that's exactly what we need from Gisela Sanchez as a role player off the bench, is if the shot isn't falling, which there's been plenty of times this year it hasn't been, then you need to find something else to do. And she didn't turn the ball over a single time, had nine rebounds. That's really great stuff from Gisela Sanchez. Yeah. And then rounding it out is Taryn Sides. 0-4 from the field, 0-4 from three. Two of them really look like they should have gone in, but it's just bad luck. Uh, two rebounds, one assist, no other stats. But yeah, 42 total rebounds, five offensive rebounds, and, you know, a, a weathered storm. Like, I think the best way that you can tell a team in, if they're ready to you know, move on to bigger bigger play is see how they weather storms like this. Oklahoma's not a bad team. Not a bad team at all, excuse me. Actually quite good. Uh, they were going on a winning streak before us after going on a losing streak before, so they're a streaky team. But they're still a very talented team, and we saw that with a Tot, I believe it was, who was killing us in the first half of the game. But we adjusted and survived the storm. And, you know, 40 points in the paint, 15 off turnovers. Connor and I, I feel like you and I reference discussions that we have while watching the games. We may as well just call them note-taking sessions for when we actually do the show. But this team is kind of like the inverse of the men's team, where I I, I wanted to say they're good, but <laughs> um, they, that's a joke. They play, I almost prefer when they play slow, as opposed to the men's team, where I think their biggest asset is speed and playing fast and playing in transition. This team, mm-mm. no, I prefer when they take it slow, take a minute, because they, they have the size, they have the ability to pass to where they can take it slow. Because I think the only person who's genuinely good or been good in transition this year is Zy Walker, maybe Serena Sundell, but most of our offense revolves around Ioka Lee, and, uh, well, she's not a transition player, <laughs> we'll say, but... Do you have any thoughts on that, or do you just want to talk about what game is next? Um, no, I think you put it well. I don't need to really add anything. Uh, they, they're pretty comfortable in their role, and I I mean, if we're going to settle into games like that where we're winning 72-56, 74-57, that's a really comfortable place to be, and Oklahoma's a good team. Uh, even though they're a little weaker this year than they have been in the past, that is a really quality team with a good coach. 
uh, that's a that's a big win, uh, a big win on national television as well. So, and it's actually going to be back to back games on national television because they have a massive matchup up against number ten in the country, Texas in Bramlage Coliseum, which I believe will be the second to last time that K State will see them in the regular season. If you can go to this game, go to this game. I know we say this every single week, but also the women's team has deserved prime billing, and that's what we're giving them this week. Go to this game if you can. It's going to be an awesome game. Let's try to make it as good an environment as possible for a team that absolutely does, that absolutely does deserve all the attention that they get, especially going up against a top 10 team. They, they The Cats deserve the support, and... The, I will say that the attendance is getting better. I think people are beginning to realize, like, wait a minute. This team is special. This team is a little bit different than other teams we've had before. Because I believe the announced attendance for the Oklahoma game was about 4,000. Which is great for a women's game. I'm not going to say that we should sell out Texas. I feel like that's that's putting the bar a little too high. I would be happy with five to 5,500. That's about exactly what I was thinking, especially with it being a weekend. It's a 1 p.m. game. Uh, the next uh, uh, couple of weekends are uh, Saturday 1 p.m. games against big opponents. We're hosting KU on the 20th, which is a Saturday, uh, also at 1 p.m. So two massive home games on weekends coming up for K-State uh, that, if possible, try and get to at least one of those games. I'll be at the KU game and... Possible. I think the weekend after as well, the KU game, the BYU game, I'll be there. But, I mean, it's it's a massive game. This is going to really tell us a lot about um, how much this team has grown and how far they can go. Uh, if we can take down Texas at home, then we're going to be, at this point, the team to beat in, in the conference. We have a huge matchup on the horizon with Baylor on the road, TCU on the road is going to be really tough too. This is a really difficult stretch of the schedule that we're hitting. Texas at home, at TCU, KU at home, at Baylor, home against BYU, and at Oklahoma, and then at Texas. That's our our next uh, seven games. That is a brutal yeah. stretch. Yeah, that's absolutely brutal. That is a massive, massive stretch. Baylor just dropped a game to KU, uh, but we also have to, ho- have to host KU. That's never an easy game. BYU is a solid team. Revenge game for Oklahoma, Texas on the road. TCU has been pretty good this year, too. That's a lot of really good basketball teams that we're going to have to face off against here pretty soon. So it all starts with a big win against Texas, if we can do that. Uh, we, we need to start the stretch off right. Yeah, start the stretch off right. Because if you beat Texas, you said it yourself, we become the team to beat. And that is when I'll start listening to... I, I think that this team are Big 12 title contenders. I think that they proved that when they beat Iowa the first time and then proceeded to donkey roll literally everyone they've played since except Iowa again. But mm-hmm. they, this is a legitimate contending team. And playing up against Texas is the best time to prove it because they actually moved down in the AP poll this last week. I don't get how... I don't think they deserve to move down. Maybe they're a victim of consequence of Virginia Virginia Tech moving up. 
But no, this is where, this is a big prove-it game for both sides. This, if you're going to circle a game to go to and also a game to watch, this might be the biggest game of the year. Yeah, it, it may just be. Uh, it's, it's a little strange for it to be so early. That's the only thing that's preventing me from saying absolutely. Uh, because January 13th, that leaves two months of, of basketball. Uh, but this is definitely the biggest game so far. It's the most consequential game so far. Uh, getting them a home, getting them on national television, that's that's pretty huge. And this is a team that we've just not been able to get over the hump against. You know, They've kind of had our number the last several years. And they're still a really talented team this year, too. But we should be equipped to take them on and really give them a run for their money this year. But it just remains to be seen. It remains to be seen. But I, I will definitely be watching. I'm ready. I hope the team is ready as well. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the best way to describe it. But we before we move on to the men's catskipball team, here is a quick word from today's sponsor. And welcome back to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, the weekly recap. Now we're going in to the men's basketball team. But before we do so, please be sure to leave a review on the pod if you are enjoying it. Leave five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And please take a look at our podcast description for the support link if you want to support the show on a monthly basis. Because uh, we recently learned that our ad rev will be going away very soon. <laughs> So uh, if you feel like supporting the show, any amount that you can give would be very much appreciated. So enough selling out. Let's go into the men's basketball game up against UCF, the opening conference game and a game that a lot of people on the Internet were kind of uh, talking down about. <laughs> and karma karma is a cruel, cruel mistress. We've learned that on episodes before, but <laughs> 77-52 Wildcat victory in Bramlage Coliseum. And this is the first time that I think the team looked like it it gelled together. I Maybe you could say, um, eh, you probably could say uh, Providence. They gelled together all right. But I think this was the first like complete performance that the team has had. And, you know, to me that starts with Tyler Perry a week after you know, we called him out for not being as great a shooter as as we thought he should have been. He uh, proceeds to go 6 of 11 <laughs> from 3. Uh, 35 minutes, 7 of 13 from the field. Perfect on his 5 free throws. 1 rebound, 4 fouls, 5 assists, 2 turnovers, 3 steals, 25 total points. King Arthur Kaluma, 32 minutes, 3 of 9 from the field, 1 of 3 from 3. 7 of 9 on his free throws, 6 rebounds, 4 of them being offensive. Three assists, one block, two steals, 14 total points. Cam Carter, 32 minutes, 5 of 12 from the field, 2 of 6 from 3. Four rebounds, two fouls, six assists, two turnovers, three blocks, one steal, 12 points, and a stuffed stat sheet. 27 minutes for Will McNair, 5 of 7 from the field, 1 of 1 on his free throws. Six rebounds, two of them offensive, one foul, three turnovers, one block, two steals, 11 total points. And then the Flying Dutchman, David Gassan, 34 minutes, 1 of 6 from the field. Scoring wasn't his day. Uh, 3 of 4 in his free throws, but he did get his free throws. 14 total rebounds, 5 of them being offensive. 
one foul, one assist, one block, one steal, five total points. So you'll take all of that production from the starters, especially Tyler Perry seemingly finding his shot to open Big 12 play after not for basically the entire year. <laughs> yeah, um, David Gasson uh, getting 14 rebounds is massive. Uh, I believe this was, was this the game where uh, they both got injured at various points? Or am I thinking of Chicago State? You're thinking of Chicago State. Okay. But David Gasson getting 14 rebounds is massive. I'm happy that Tyler Perry uh, had a good shooting day. Of course, it had to happen the day after uh, the episode went out where I said that he hasn't really lived up to expectations. But if that's what it takes, then I'll say that whenever I need to. Uh, but still pretty solid day for the starters across the board. Uh, bench players, we saw the bench really get emptied in this game. Uh, but there were really two in particular that actually played a lot of minutes. And one of them is a little surprising. That's Dorian Finister. Uh, he played 18 minutes, had six points on three of five from the field, 0 of one from three. And he had four rebounds, two fouls, two assists, and two turnovers. Uh, he was pretty solid, honestly, in 18 minutes. He, he didn't really make any major mistakes, uh, as far as I can remember. And I uh, was honestly pretty quality, uh, which is a little surprising. We haven't seen much of him. Uh, this season, but kind of came out of nowhere to get some pretty quality minutes. Uh, then we also have Day Day Ames. Uh, he uh, played 13 minutes, didn't really have a great day shooting the ball. Uh, 05 from the field, 03 from three, and 1 of 2 at the free throw line. So he just gets one point, uh, but had one rebound, two fouls, and then a turnover. Then after that, it's a bunch of guys who came off the bench at the end of the game. Buddy Rich had a massive lob dunk where he stole it out of the hands of a UCF defender and just threw it down. Taj Manning went one of two at the free throw line. Uh, RJ Jones had an assist. And then Jarrell Colbert, he had a turnover. And Tamant Lindsay, the walk-on, he uh, got in at the very end of the game and played a minute. Uh, but there, for the most part, weren't many stats for those last uh, five guys that I mentioned. So, yeah, that, that's pretty much it. I don't think there's any like major notes about this game up to this point. Other than it was a pretty good victory against a team that, you know, welcome to the Big 12 are capable of beating anyone, uh, including KU down in Orlando. Home away games are crazy in the Big 12. <laughs> But now we can talk about the Wildcat victory up against West Virginia. This one was actually, it technically qualifies as a comeback. It was an 81-67 Wildcat victory, and K-State actually trailed going into half after looking fine at points in the first half. They ended up trailing 42-40, to uh, then ended up storming them, storming West Virginia in the back end, 81-67. to First off, the referees in the first half were questionable, to say the least. Um, you know, you you and I uh, had a discussion about how they were kicking out their feet every time they hit a three, and were basically kicking our players and turning into fish immediately afterwards. But, you know, tough break, I guess. Yeah, I mean, West Virginia pretty much got like 10 or 11 points out of, out of that on its own, really. And then they also got uh, two more points off the technical foul free throws from David Gasson, which that was its own whole separate issue. The most polite man on the court, just politely telling someone to get away from the huddle and 
he proceeds to act like he's been to Baghdad and got shot. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty strange, uh, really weird uh, for the officiating, but ultimately didn't really matter. And when it's all said and done, he so leave Morgantown with a double digit win. You can't say that very often. So pretty quality stuff, all things considered, for the uh, the men's basketball team. Yeah, you got the starters. Yep. So Cam Carter, he leads the way and scoring another great day for him. He plays 37 minutes and has 23 points, 6 of 14 from the field, 1 of 6 from 3, and then made all 10 of his free throws. He had 3 rebounds, 1 foul, 4 assists, 1 turnover, 1 block, and 2 steals, so he stuffed the stat sheet. Arthur Columa, he had 17 points and was a very efficient shooter uh, in 28 minutes, 6 of 9 from the field, 4 of 6 from 3, and 1 of 2 at the stripe. 3 rebounds, 2 fouls, 2 assists, four turnovers, and a steal. David Gasson, he was really, really good in this game. This was maybe his best game of the year. Uh, he played 27 minutes, had 17 points, 7 of 8 from the field, and made all three of his free throws. Uh, did not miss a single one. They all looked good, too. And then he had seven rebounds as well. Four of them were offensive rebounds. He did have four fouls. We had an assist, no turnovers, two blocks, and a steal. So massive shout-out to David Gasson. Really good stuff from him. Will McNair, he had 12 points in 28 minutes. Perfect from the field, 5 of 5, 2 of 4 at the stripe. 9 rebounds, 2 fouls, 3 turnovers, and then 2 steals. So he was 1 rebound off of a double-double. Really good stuff from Will McNair. And then Tyler Perry um, took a bit of a backseat scoring-wise this game. He played 39 minutes and only had 6 points. 1 of 8 from the field, 1 of 6 from 3. Made 3 of his 4 free throws. He had three rebounds, two fouls, five assists to four turnovers, and a steal. So not an awful day for Tyler Perry, but not the best day either. Uh, it was really Cam Carter and David Gasson's day, uh, I think. Although Kaluma and McNair both played pretty well to round out the starting five. But there was a bench player that uh, really stood out in this game. Welcome to your breakout week, Dorian Finister. <laughs> 22 minutes, 3 of 4 from the field, 2 rebounds, 3 fouls, to 2 assists, 1 turnover, and a steal for 6 total points. And some of the most effort-filled defense that we've seen, uh, including, you know, a dunk and transition. And really, it's Dorian coming along, I think maybe a bigger surprise than Taj coming along, at least when the in the game that Taj started and played significant minutes. Because we heard stuff about Taj last year. We heard nothing about Dorian, and we've heard nothing about Dorian other than we got him his red shirt last year, which I still don't know how, but we did it. So you got to give, you know, we, we're a fan of giving out the roses on this show. got to give out the roses to Dorian Finister for coming in and injecting life at times into this basketball team. Yeah, he was genuinely really good uh, in this game. Uh, against West Virginia and that's coming off of a game where he was surprisingly effective against UCF Uh, he really for the first time in his time at K-State looked like he not only like just belonged on the court but that he kind of had an advantage on the court at times he uh, had a nice backdoor cut at one point I knew his role and he stuck to it and he was rewarded for it and if that's the type of Dorian Finister that we can expect night in, night out, he might be a more playable sixth man right now than Day-Day. Because Day-Day's just been 
ice cold from the field right now in terms of shooting. So if Dorian can continue to play this sort of basketball, he's going to be super valuable for us uh, down the stretch in Big 12 play. So I, I was very surprised with how he played, very pleasantly surprised. Yeah. None of the other bench players ended up scoring, though. And uh, it starts with Day-Day, 0 of 3, 0 of 1 from the field and from 3, respectively, in 8 total minutes. Did have a rebound and a foul. I think Day-Day is kind of getting those freshman growing pains, which I expected to happen earlier this year, but I, you know, they're going to happen anyway. They're going to happen with every true freshman player who isn't going to be a lottery pick. So you, you'll take it as they come. But then Jarrell Colbert, six minutes, 0 of 1 from the field, four total rebounds, two of them offensive, two fouls, one assist, two blocks, including one of the most hilarious ones we've seen outside of Ioka Lee, just literally putting her hand up and denying any ball movement whatsoever. Uh, he had quite the violent one where he just smacked it and almost hit a camera guy in the face. <laughs> yeah, Jarrell, uh, he, he looked pretty good. He only played six minutes, but... I liked it. I liked a lot of what we saw, and Drell may not be much of an offensive force right now, but he's a little erratic with 2006 minutes, but also if he times it right, he's an elite shot blocker. Yeah. Then Michaela Bridge played three minutes, only got a rebound, then RJ Jones and Taj Manning each played a single minute, and the team is credited with two rebounds. This is another one of those games where, first off, Raekwon Battle getting you know, 12 free throws, ridiculous, but, you know, this is one of those games where you can't take a night off, no matter who you're playing up against, because they, West Virginia was winning in the first half, and K-State at times looked sloppy, don't stop me if you've heard that before, but they end up putting it all together in the second half, Dorian has an amazing game, especially in the second half, and really kind of produces a spark for the team and I think that that's one of the things that this team can at time be missing they are sometimes missing a spark because they have a bunch of players who are good at playing their role I'm looking mostly at David Gasson being a rebounder but it seems like they're missing at times the get on my back I will carry us player we had two of those last year <laughs> we had two of the get on my back I'm carrying the team player last year Cam Carter can be that guy, and he's proven that he can be that guy. But it's the kind of waiting for the second shoe to drop. Because I I think most Big 12 teams, unless your first player is just that good, you need at least two, preferably three. It just helps last year that we had two of the most dominant players in college basketball. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I totally agree. And I think a lot of the growing pains with this team this year have been learning how to play without Naquan Tomlin and without Quez Glover. Because at this point, I don't think anyone expects Quez Glover to play this season. It doesn't sound like it, at least. It sounds like it's going to be a redshirt year for Quez. But uh, it takes a little time to adjust uh, in those uh, types of situations. And who's going to step up, who's not. Uh, Cam Carter and Kaluma have been the most consistent as of late. But David Gasson, he plays his role, and he's just pretty much just taking layups, and he's good at that. And he knows his role, and one of the big weaknesses of his game is free throws, and he's been doing a lot better at free throws uh, since his 0 of 8 stretch. Uh, Will McNair has been really good 
this year. He's one of our best back-to-the-basket post players in years. And that's that's just not a player that K-State's really had much success with. I mean, he's probably our best back-to-the-basket guy since DJ Johnson, I think. And that's like early Bruce era. Um, then a guy like Dorian Finister seemingly coming out of nowhere to be a serviceable role player when Day-Day's kind of slipping a little bit. That's massive because that takes some pressure off Day-Day and lets him grow and develop a little bit more. And then, of course, seeing Jarrell Colbert and RJ Jones get some playing time again, that's nice. I, I'm happy to see them get on the floor again, uh, not be in the doghouse anymore because those guys are both very high potential. And I, I want them to get as much playing time as we can get away with. Yeah. So the next games for K-State are Texas Tech down in Lubbock and then versus Baylor and versus Oklahoma State, both at home. The Texas Tech game, Texas Tech has proven to be a little bit of a volatile team this year. They did just beat Texas in Texas. So they are, they're a good team. Like they, again, you never take a night off in the Big 12 despite, and I say that despite the, the really cringy song they put out last year. It's true. Um, but going down to Lubbock, it's always a scary place to play. I think that's a big prove-it game up against Baylor at home. That's going to be a you know a 7 p.m. Tuesday matchup. And this is a stretch where K-State has to take advantage, in my opinion, where you have to take you have to find some way to escape Lubbock. You may be able to drop against Baylor, but that's going to be tough, and you have to beat Oklahoma State. This is a team kind of walking the borderline right now. Yeah, right now there are three teams in the Big 12 that remain unbeaten in conference play. Everyone else has suffered at least one loss. Those three teams are K-State, Texas Tech, and Baylor. So all three of those teams are playing in the next five days. And one of them will be rising to the top, or at the very least K-State plays both of them. And Texas Tech is a tough out. Uh, They beat Oklahoma State, which granted has not been the best, but still a quality team. And they went and beat Texas on the road as well by 11. This is a pretty good Texas Tech team. And they, they've got a first-year head coach in Grant McCaslin. Um, they're quality. They're, they're not a side that we can overlook. And then, of course, Baylor, uh, it's personal for both of the coaches, even though they have no ill will to each other. They both, are, they both have extra motivation for this game. Scott Drew wants to be able to beat Jerome Tang because he hasn't done that yet, and Jerome Tang doesn't want to lose for the first time to Baylor. So there's going to be plenty of emotion there. These are two massive games, which, I mean, that's just Big 12 basketball. Every game is massive. And, of course, Oklahoma State coming up. Even though they're second to last in the conference, that hardly matters. They uh, took Baylor to overtime at home uh, last Saturday. And Baylor's obviously a much better team than Oklahoma State. Uh, I mean, Oklahoma State's got a, a lame duck head coach right now. They're in a bad way, but they're still really talented, and that's they're just talented how, physical. Yeah, they're talented and physical, and they're kind of a matchup problem for K State, kind of like last year. They're very similar build to us, except they're more like junkyard dogs because they just make every game really annoying, and they're very good at that. Yeah. And it's a big stretch for the men's basketball team coming up, but so far they've been following a similar script to last year where they kind of sleepwalk through non-conference play and all of a sudden conference play starts. 2-0 start, 
including a 25-point win against UCF, a good UCF team that just beat KU, and a 14-point win over a West Virginia side that has a bad record, but they just got most of their good players playing for only the last like four or five games. Raekwon Battle's been really good for them. Kirk Carissa is really good. The only guy they're missing right now is Jesse Edwards, and that gave us a massive advantage on the inside. Yeah. But I'm not looking forward to yeah. having to play them when he's back. Yeah, when because we play with Virginia for the second time pretty late in the season, so we'll get just we'll get the best version of West Virginia when we play them near the end of the season. That's a sneaky difficult game uh, because they're just going to be a weird team this year. But it's a uh, it's going to be another really tough year in the Big 12, and these next two games are huge. Never take a night up. Stupid song. Anyway, that pretty much wraps up everything I wanted to say. you have anything else to add? No, I don't. All right. Well, if that's the case, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us just about anywhere at Aggieville ACATS. And if you want to follow or email us, we're aggievillealleycats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I'm at acedward00. I'm at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store. Link in our podcast and Twitter bios. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.